This episode is brought to you by Revolver Studios, Portland's own homegrown recording studio and music production house, run by musicians for musicians. Revolverstudios.org. This is the Portland Film Podcast, and I'm your host, Molly Silverstein. Juliana Lukasik has produced and directed Emmy, Addy, and Telly Award-winning commercial projects. She is also the principal and owner of At Large Films, a national commercial production company based here in Portland. She is a governor-appointed board member for the Oregon Governor's Office of Film and Television and was recently elected chair of the board. Juliana is an outspoken advocate for gender equality, especially for women in creative leadership roles in the media industry. Welcome, Juliana. Thank you for having me. So you purchased the production company At Large in 1999. How did that come about? First of all, I was very young when I did it. So I think that was a little bit of just like the craziness of young people. It's like, yes, I can do this. But uh, basically, the logistics of it were that I was the producer for a company called Signature Films. And the owner of that company's name is Walt Dimmick, and he's been a filmmaker for many, many years. And in about 1998, he came to me and said, uh, I am going to... Um, either sell the company and you're going to have to find a new job or I'm going to help you be able to buy it from me, which was a huge honor. I mean, he had spent his life building this business and to think that I could have a legacy was pretty inspiring. So uh, I spoke to my husband and we just decided to do it. And in 1999, I bought the, uh, bought the company. Mind you, I had never taken a business class. I had no idea what a balance sheet was or a profit and loss statement. So fortunately, I was a producer, so I knew about budgeting and was able to sort of self-teach to move forward. But I will highly recommend to everybody, I don't care who you are, take some business classes. Even if you're just you're running your own company for yourself as a freelancer, you're still a business. So that's how I got it. It was a great opportunity that I jumped at. And were you directing before then? I was not directing. Uh, when I bought the production company, it became a very standard kind of production company. In other words, I represented a roster of directors. And at any one time, I would have somewhere around five or six directors. And then a client, usually an advertising agency, would have a project. They'd come to us and I'd put teams together, creative teams together for the job. And in 2003, you saw a presentation that was a turning point for you. It really was. You know, I had been um, going along, you know, just bought the company, added people to my roster. At that point, it was a regional uh, production company, so we were doing a lot of local and regional work. It was all commercial work. And I went to a presentation and learned about just the buying power of women and the fact that about 85% of the time, the woman was making the decision about the purchase or she was involved in the purchase. 85%. 85% of the time. I know, it's it's surprising. And guess what? It's still 85%. Really? Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the product is. A lot of times you'll hear sort of, oh, this is a, this is a male-dominated product. But even cars and electronics, the numbers are still over 51% that women are making the decision. So they're very much involved in the purchase. So I got super excited, right? Big light bulb went off. I need to have women directors. Why don't I have women directors? I'm a woman-owned production company. This is just a no-brainer. Women talking to women and selling products to women, this is going to make perfect sense. So I was sure I had the magic key right there, right? That this was going to propel me past all my competition and I was going to 
rule the world. I was super excited about it. And so I went researching and looking for women directors. And then urch, that's when the problem started because I could not find women commercial directors. Really? Yeah. So I was looking in markets like LA and New York and London where the, the only women that I could find were in those markets and there were so few of them that they were locked into uh, agreements already. So there were just no, there was no access for me to find a accomplished commercial director that would be on my roster as a regional production company. And had you worked with female directors at all in commercials before this point? My, my career started in 1989. And in 1990, I started working as a freelancer. So that just means working on any project and all sorts of projects and worked on a lot of different things, but mostly commercials. In the 10 years that I worked as a freelancer in the industry, I never once worked with a woman director. Not once. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's pretty shocking. It never occurred to me in all that time that that was an anomaly. Never once came up, never thought of it. In fact, during that time, as I was working my way up in the industry, I frequently said, oh, I would never direct. I'm only going, I'm a great producer, and that's what I'm going to do. Do you think that's because there weren't role models around you? I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think that uh, one of my biggest problems personally for directing was that I didn't feel like I had the creative vision to see a project all the way through. My mentor, Walt Dimmick, was particularly good at that. He literally could see what the project was going to look like through the edit. And I had a really hard time with that. And it was that moment, you know, I watched him on set and how he, how he thought was not the way I thought and how he processed his creative vision was not how I did mine. And so I just sort of decided, I'm doing air quotes here, I wasn't a creative. But I started to watch other directors, including some of the directors on my roster, and I began to realize that I was seeing things through in a way I hadn't realized before. In my mind, when I considered it as an option, in other words, I was looking for women directors, couldn't find any, I started going, well, why is that? Why, why are women not directing commercials? So I started to think about it really on a deep personal level, and I just finally decided that I needed to know why this was happening, so I, I jumped in. And this was around 2004. I, um, I decided that I was going to direct, and I did. What did you direct? I, uh, I directed for a, a public service announcement for the, for the Oregon Symphony. The project was a half symphony performing at Waterfront Park. It was an actual live performance, and we had a crane, and we had a large crew, and it was a very um, technical mm-hmm. shoot, and certainly one that was way beyond what I would have thought were my capabilities. But I, I went in there, I got a great team, and it went really well. The commercial was a real success for the um, symphony. And it was a lot of fun, and I realized that I could do it. And um, I started directing from that point on and very quickly became the busiest director on our roster. And I will say that I became the busiest director on the roster because I'm a good director, Mm -hmm. not because I'm a a woman. Well, men have been making ad campaigns aimed at women since before the invention of television. Do you have any theories as to why the disparity still exists there? Ironically, back when advertising first started and in television, the advertising agencies actually understood the power of women talking to women. There were a lot of creative directors at advertising agencies that were women back in the early days. Really? Yes. If you look at the history 
of advertising, many advertising agencies had women in the creative departments until about the 50s. And in the 50s, things changed. As a corporate America, we began to rely on a model that felt like it was working in those days, which was the man goes and works, the woman stays home with the kids. And in that world, um, men just sort of took over the advertising industry. When we started moving into the 60s, you know, it just never changed. It was a continuing story of men dominating advertising. And for me as a commercial director, most of the time, certainly um, things have changed a little bit in the market. Back when I started until about five years ago, the relationship between an advertising agency and the production company was very clear. The creative director at the advertising agency chose the director for the commercial. And five years ago, the creative directors at advertising agencies were dominated by men. They still are. It was 3% way back then. So 3% of all creative directors in the United States were women. And that's a direct correlation to why there's so few women directors in the commercial world. There's been some advances, which is really exciting, but we're still only up to about 12%. Wow. Yeah, it's mind-boggling because it doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense, and it never has. It's completely illogical that uh, more advertising agencies and corporations wouldn't see the value of having more women on creative teams in creative leadership roles. It's fascinating because ads are so gendered. So to hear that there's such an imbalance in who's actually making those purchasing decisions, what do you think the impact has been of the disparity of between men and women in this field? Well, we can see what the impact is when we look at how advertisements treat women and how they objectify women. Women are set up to compete with each other. They're set up to look a certain way. They're set up to have certain traits that they value. It's certainly not brains. It's all about looks. Girls, very young, are starting to already worry more about what they look like than what they think. And that's a huge, huge burden for them to be experiencing when they're very young and very and very much trying to move into a, a world where um, they're not going to be equal. They're not going to have equal pay. They're not going to have equal gender balance. So to also be attacking their self-confidence is, is super, it's really negative. It's really negative. And, you know, everybody, every day, a person sees 4,500 advertisements. They come across their computers or they see them on the streets or they, you know, wherever, but it's 4,500 advertising messages a day. And to have all of those messages brought to you 97% of the time by men is just unacceptable. How do you think advertising agencies could create more balance in how they advertise? Advertising agencies have to create more balance. This is unacceptable. And we've seen the cost when you look at how few women are in, and this has nothing to do with our current situation and everything to do with our current political situation. How women are portrayed in the media has a direct effect on how many women are in politics, either Republicans or Democrats. It doesn't matter. There are very few women representing us as a country when it comes to gender balance. So women tend to not run for office because of all the negative stereotypes that are out there, especially for federal office. So there's huge, huge cost to not having balance in, uh, in um, politics. And I think one of the biggest problems is how few women there are in creative leadership roles in media. Most importantly, when there are women and men at the table equally, then you get a really balanced message. So you have all viewpoints considered. I also think that when women are advertising to women, the message is extremely authentic. And I believe that women really understand that at the most visceral level. So women immediately know 
and they don't know why when a message is authentic and they like it and they are incredibly loyal consumers. So if you can get women to like your product and start to share their ideas across social media, it's a huge impact on a product. Groups like Dove and there's several groups, especially Nike has done a great job advertising to women and creating loyalty. And women just know. They know when a message is authentic. And if you polled 100 women, which I've done, if you polled them, you would ask them if they felt like advertising was talking to them. 95 of them would say absolutely not. I'd probably say the same thing. Exactly. (laughs) I find very few that go, wow, they nailed it. This isn't just about what's good for the country, although it is good for the country to have gender balance. And that means 50-50 gender balance in all industries. But it's also a truth that Corporations are just leaving money on the table by not doing a better job advertising to women. You know, products, they're always looking for a more diverse audience, and yet they're leaving a huge portion of their audience behind. I literally have had an advertising agency tell me that I said, well, what about the 35 to 55 uh, women market? And they're like, oh, well, those women are really hard to reach, so we just sort of ignore them. And if you do the math for the buying power of that group of women, it's enormous. I'm telling you, one of the best ways to reach them is to have women actually advertising to them. Let's talk a little bit about 5% WTF. Okay. So I was at a uh, conference called the 3% Conference. So 3% stands for the number of women creative directors there are. And it was started by a woman named Kat Gordon, an amazing woman who just decided that she had to do something about the gender imbalance in advertising. So she started this about five or six years ago. And it was in San Francisco, and I attended the second and third one, and it was really inspirational. There would be speakers about advertising and the power of women uh, speaking to women. And I I had one uh, speaker who said, you know what, we can talk about this for another 20 years, and if we keep talking about it, nothing's going to happen. We have to do something. And her call to action at the end of that conference was for everybody out in the audience to just pick something to do and some way to actually do something to make a difference. Well, I'm a commercial director, so I do short form work. And I, and I just said, you know, I need to do a commercial about this. I need to do what I do and invest my time and do something. So I called up a group of some of the women I work with on a regular basis. And I said, look, I want to do this, but I always come up with a thousand reasons why I can't do it. You know, I don't have enough time or it's going to be a hard work or we're going to have to sacrifice some of our energy and our time. And that's so valuable. And this group said, you know what, we're going to help you do this and we're going to hold you accountable to make sure that it gets done. Because producing and directing a commercial completely volunteer and unfunded is, is you know, a very difficult process. So I created a PSA, an animated commercial, and it was called 5% WTF. I don't know if I can swear here. <laughs> you can always bleep me out, but it's 5% what the fuck. And um, that references, obviously, the lack of women directors in uh, commercial advertising and other forms of media, like feature films and uh, documentaries and independent films. The numbers are staggeringly low across the board. So I started this PSA, and out of that came a group that started to look at this together of how are we going to actually make a difference. So somewhere along the line, I started a job shadow program. And the job shadow program came out of 
me watching a movie called Misrepresentation, which was an amazing film. Anybody out there that cares about how women are portrayed in media should look at this documentary. It's amazing. And I watched that, and in it, Gloria Steinem said, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And that was that moment when another light bulb went off, and I said, you know, I have never seen women directors, and I think that's a huge barrier. So I'm going to figure out a way to have women aspiring filmmakers on set with me when I direct just to see if it does make a difference if it does make a difference for a woman to see another woman directing on a shoot and so I started the program working with the University of Oregon to help me create an application that was meaningful and I put the word out that I was going to start having job shadows with me on set and the response was staggering. It was enormous how much capacity. I mean, any time I speak about the subject that I have a job shadow program, I get 10, sometimes 20, depending on how big the crowd is, applicants, which was really overwhelming for me because, you know, I direct maybe five times a year. And of those five shoots, maybe I can have three job shadows. So, you know, here I have a file full of 100 applicants and I'm only doing it three times a year, I said, this is not working. I've got to expand this program. So I'm trying at this moment to expand that program. And first of all, let me just step back real quick and tell you what it looks like, right, to be on set with me or what a job shadow looks like. Basically for a commercial, I bring a filmmaker who wants to be a director. It very quickly became clear that this was more of a workforce development project because I really needed to focus, right? bring in the women who want to be directors and bring them on set. So basically they come for a commercial project, which might be a two-month project. They come to a casting session. They come to a pre-production meeting. They come to shoot, however many days that is, typically anywhere from one to three days. They come to a post-production session, and that's it. The whole point of this job shadow program is that it's easy for both sides to do, that it doesn't mean that the job shadow applicant has to move from wherever she happens to be to be in the city where the production is happening. It needs to be much more accessible than that. So the whole point of my program is that it's easy for both sides. So she comes on set with me. Um, at the end of every day, she gets 15 minutes to 30 minutes to ask questions about that particular day. At the end of the entire event, she gets an hour of my time to go, sort of go over the whole project. And then at the end of it all, she writes an essay and we're done. I'll give an example. If I'm doing a Nintendo shoot, so Nintendo is one of my biggest clients. So for a Nintendo shoot, she will get to see how I direct a crew of anywhere from 25 to 50 people. And that might be, you know, your entire crew of director of photography, key grip, gaffer, all those people, your wardrobe people, your art department. You have a some list of talent, maybe anywhere from 5 to 10 or 15 talent, depending on the particular shoot. And it's my job to lead that group. So not only do I have to direct all of those people, I also have to interact with the client, which is a unique thing for a commercial production and also very intimidating to a lot of people that I'm managing the client, I'm managing the crew, and I'm managing the creative, and I'm directing the talent. So it's a lot to do. And the job shadow sits with me the whole time I'm doing that. And the requirement is that she stays with me, right? And not over there working or doing something else. It's 100% volunteer, and she's 100% dedicated to seeing my process. So 
it's been hugely, hugely successful. And I would say successful on both sides because the job shadows that I've worked with have said that it's been a life-changing experience. I didn't expect it to be that powerful, but it was for those women. For me, I just cannot say how much I get out of it. Just being inspired by these questions that they ask me at the end of the shoot that sort of helped ground me actually for the whole shoot. I look forward to those meetings at the end when we kind of go over everything frequently. It's right around post-production. So it's a really valuable tool for me to sort of uh, ground me in how this production's going to end up. So it's incredibly powerful experience. I had no idea how powerful it was going to be, and that's been a real inspiration for me to expand the program. And what is the typical age of the applicant? It can be any age at all as long as they show me through their application process that they are very determined to become a director. The key is that they want to be a director, not their age. Typically, It's younger women in their 20s. But I've also had job shadows who were 45 years old. So it's just somewhere along the line they have made that decision that they want to be a director and there's something holding them back. It sounds like you have a lot of applicants. I unfortunately have a file of about 50 right now because I purge at the every year. So I uh, start over in January and I haven't purged that file because we're in a transition point with the project. So right now we're in a absolute transition point. So there, I'm not accepting applications right now because we're trying to establish the program as a pilot program in Oregon. So here's what's going on. (laughs) Tell us. Um, Okay, so I decided that we should formalize this project. I established a nonprofit. The nonprofit is actually now called 5 to 50 Project, 5% to 50%. And we are an established nonprofit, and we are in the early stages of finalizing our project description and beginning fundraising. Our first goal is phase one, where we hope to raise about $10,000 to get a website off the ground. So we need a website to connect directors to job shadows. So the way it'll work is that both the director and the job shadow applicant will be vetted by the staff of 5 to 50 project. So we'll know that these are good applicants and the directors are good mentors. So a director can go to the site, say, I can have a job shadow next week, and they can look and see several job shadow applicants that are in their geographic area, and they can pick one, and we're off to the races. So it's really easy for both sides to do this. And one of the barriers that I immediately wanted to get past was the barrier around travel and geography. You know, so ultimately this project will go national and so that a New York director can say, oh, I'm going to have a job shadow next week. I'll go to the site and I'll find three, four applicants in New York that I can have on set with me. Because if you don't make it simple for the applicants, then you're going to have a huge barrier. A lot of them can't afford to move from New York to LA or from a small town in the Midwest to Portland to go through a job shadow program. And this program is meant to be very, very inclusive for people of all socioeconomic levels. So for me, it's just about simplifying and making the program absolutely accessible to everybody. 
What would signal to you that progress is happening? Like, okay, like the dial is being moved a little bit. Well, first of all, I need to partner with some higher education research groups to start researching advertising and women in that role. There are studies out there that indicate the numbers in feature films, you know, the uh, percentages of women directors in feature film, the percentage of women directors in episodic television and documentaries. There are no studies that I can find that show the percentages of women women in advertising, which is also very shocking to me because this is a huge impact on our society. So I'm looking for partners at the higher education level or a research company to start researching these numbers. I believe they're at about three to five percent right now of commercial directors are women. So one of the things that would be an indication that the program is working once we get it started would be that those studies are being done and the numbers are growing. Ultimately, I'm not going to be happy until we're, we're closer to 50 percent. I mean, that's the whole point of the project. So I also know that there is a great social media impact to this. So when we start seeing dialogue that indicates that more women are bringing women on set with them. You know, my goal is that any woman who directs anything should have a woman on set with her. Until we get to a point where there's better balance, we need that to happen. Because right now, I'm going to have a really hard time finding women directors. So that's going to be my biggest challenge with this project, is finding women directors willing to take the time. Although ultimately, I made it so easy that remember when I described my process, literally took two hours of my time to change somebody's life. I mean, I think that the argument is there and I think a lot of women, when they think of it that way and how easy it is, they'll do it. But we know that there are so few women directors in the commercial world. So that's probably the biggest challenge as we move forward. Well, I think it's very exciting and you're doing really important work. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. For more information, visit 5percentwtf.com. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can subscribe on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or visit us at theportlandfilmpodcast.com. The Portland Film Podcast is a Portland Film Festival production produced by Misty Eddy. Our associate producer is Sean Conley, and I'm Molly Silverstein. See you next time. <laughs>